Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Jody Stuhauer's Testimony. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. So, just a little groundwork for testimonies. And, and tonight, um, I have many testimonies to tell, but, but this one testimony really had a change in my life. And I tell you, the only reason I tell this testimony, I love to speak, but every time I get really nervous. I love to do it. But the only reason I tell this testimony is so that God's glory will be exalted. Amen? It's nothing that I did. You'll find out. There's nothing that I did, but it was God. And as I tell my testimony, the goodness of God, I pray that it will encourage, encourage you that you can have the same power. That same power is available to you tonight that was available to me then and still is now. And so let's just pray. Oh, Father, we just come to you tonight, humble, Father, and, and realizing that it's only you that brings good things about in our life. And, Father, I pray that you will speak through these lips, that the Holy Spirit will bring things to my remembrance, things that need to be said. And, Father, I pray that ears will be open and hearts softened. Lord, may they be changed tonight by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, right out of high school, I joined the Army. I was from a really hick town. I'd never traveled before, and I was getting out. I was getting out of Baldwin, and I'm going to travel and make something of my life. So I joined the service. Well, before I joined the service, I had been saved for probably four years. And just before I joined the service, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was just before I left, and I didn't have a lot of training in the Word of God um, like some of us have had in the past. So here I was, I was saved, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm off into another world, practically. I was still in the United States, but it was a whole other world. And in the Army, there, there aren't good churches. I mean, there's churches, but... Praise the Lord. <laughs> they just weren't what I needed. I needed something else, and there, it wasn't what I needed. And so I really didn't go to church like I should have, and I... I, I would still read sometimes when I was at home, but I just wasn't walking in the light that I had received, and I knew it. I wasn't walking as I should have been walking. I had, I had one foot in, in God's door, and I had the other foot in, in the world still. I was still kind of halfway in between. Have you ever been there? And I knew that, you know, Jody, you've got to get your foot out of that or you're going to get burned. I mean, when you play with fire, you get burned. Well, I loved exercising. I mean, you almost have to love to exercise in the Army. <laughs> so I loved it and I ran every night faithfully and I liked it and it was in the fall of the year and it was starting to get dark and um, I was running and I thought man I got to start running earlier because it's starting to get darker you know right around that daylight savings time thing well I didn't pay attention and I kept running and it was getting darker well one night while I was running I was attacked and raped by a man and I knew I should have not been out there. Well, the attacker left, and I was about three-quarters of a mile from my home. And it was dark out now, really dark. And I managed to get home. No one even noticed me. It's amazing how the whole world just keeps going on, and, and nobody really pays attention to anyone else. And I made it home. I really didn't want to get noticed anyhow. But I made it home, and at that time in my life, I was the guardian of my sister, so I had... A, a 16-year-old sister at home with me, and I was her legal guardian, but she wasn't at home right yet. She was at a football game. So I went into my bedroom and just hibernated in there. I was just in the most 
pit I had ever been in my life. I'm sure, sure you can even begin to imagine. But my sister had come home and she rapped on the door and I said, I'm sick, I've got the flu, I don't want nothing to do with you right now. And I stayed in my bedroom for that whole weekend and I didn't come out, I didn't do anything. And Monday came along and I knew I had to go to work. And in the service, you just don't call in and say, I'm sick. You have to go to sick call and prove that you're sick. Okay, so I mean, here I am, I have just been defiled, and I don't want to see anybody. I mean, I feel like grime, I feel like, I feel gross, I hate myself. This is just a lot of the symptoms that, that come upon you once, you once you've gone through this experience. I didn't, oh, I didn't want to see anybody for the rest of my life. So I, I had to go to, the, to my commander, and I went to sick call. And, you know, I was really pale. I looked sick. I looked like I had the flu, and I, my muscles were sore. My whole body ached. And so I got off the hook. I didn't have to go to work. And I managed to not have to go to work for a whole week. And that week was heck. I mean, I, I just felt so terrible. I thought, my God, what am I going to do? Why has this happened to me, God? Well, the weekend went by, and I had to go to work on Monday. And so I talked to my commander, and I had to tell him, because during that week of, of just living inside of myself, I decided I wanted out of the Army. And that was really just opposite of what I am, because I loved the service. I even had a t-shirt made that said, Army, home away from home. I mean, I love the Army. And so here I was, I was sick for a week, so they thought, and I come to my commander, and I tell him what happened. I told him that I was raped. I want out of the service. I can't take my life anymore. I've got to get out. And he says, you know what, Jody? Just in these past 10 days, there's been several other women that have come forward to me that have, 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 that have had the same thing happen to them. Now, that is awesome. I mean, when, once you hear the whole story, these, these, some of these women had been attacked almost two years ago, and they had never told a soul. And just in the past 10 days, several of them had come forward and all their descriptions were the same as the man that had attacked me. And so they had this man in, in custody, custody, and I had identified him and I thought for sure that was the same man. Come to find out he was a military man, a man way up in the rank, a first sergeant, they call him, you know, they call him tops. Well, he was not tops on my list. And I told my commander, I said, I want out of the service, I don't care what you do. I want out. I want to go home. I want to go home to my family. I can't, I can't even habitate right now. And so they worked it out that I could get out on a special discharge. But it took like six weeks for me to get out of the service. And I, I had made, in my, made up in my mind I was not going to tell another living soul that I had gone through this. Because it just makes you feel like you're so unworthy. You feel like you're the one at fault. I mean, isn't that crazy? You feel like you're the guilty one. And I had made up in my mind, I'm not telling another soul. And my sister never knew. And she lived with me. I mean, she knew something was going on in my life. And I mean, I was a grump. I wasn't eating. I, I was getting pimples all over my face. It was just gross. And so, about six weeks later, we finally got out of the service. And I wanted to head home because this was clear in the state of Washington um, on the, on the uh, west side of the United States. Now, a lot of people, when I tell them this, they say, you just told me you serve a good God. How could this good God do something like this? How, how could he let this happen to you? 
Well, he didn't let it happen to me. It, I, I parallel it to this. You as parents, you try to do everything you can to protect your children, don't you? I mean, let's say, for example, you don't want them to go out and play in the yard or out in the um, street where the cars are, right? So you tell them, you set guidelines. I don't want you to go out past the border. I don't want you to go out and play in the, in the road. And you may even put up a picket fence around the yard so your kids don't go out and play in the road because you love them, you want to protect them. You're doing everything that you can in your power to protect them, okay? But, you know, children still choose to open the gate and play in the street, right? But you've done everything you can to protect them, but they can still choose to go and play in the street. And the same thing is true with our father. Our Father has set guidelines in His Word that will protect us. I mean, He's already done everything He has to do for all men to be saved, right? He sent His Son, Jesus. He's done everything He can so that all men can be saved. But are all men saved? No. He's done everything He can, all His power. He gave up His only Son, Jesus. But all men aren't saved. It's because God gave us the freedom to choose. He gave us a will. And the same thing with our children. Our children have a will. Sure, we can, we can um, lock our children up in a room all their life, but that's not love. That's not the way to do it. A child's got to be a child. I mean, we can choose. Aren't you glad that we can choose, that we have that freedom? So do you understand what I'm saying? God did not let that happen to me, okay? I had, I had mentioned to you earlier that, that I was not walking in the light that I had. And that I had one foot playing in the world still, and one foot in God's world. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to get you to the point where you're always, oh, man, if I do something wrong, I'm going to really get it. No, but we do need to have common sense and, and do all that we can to obey by God's rules and guidelines. And they're good rules. It's not like you can't do this, you've got to stop doing that. No, they're good guidelines, and there's lots of freedom in between them. Hallelujah. And as we walk in the light to the best of our ability, we're fine, okay? Don't, I don't want you to get scared and leave here and think, you know, I'm going to get run over by a Mack truck or anything because I, did, I sinned or something. No, but it's, I'm just pointing out that there are guidelines, yes, and we do need to follow them to the best of our ability. Now, some people have also said, well, you know, if, if this God is so good, he, he must, why is he putting you through this test? I mean, this was a test or a trial. I mean, we, I've heard so many times, you know, I'm sick because God is trying to test me. He's trying to prove something to me. No, I mean, if you were parents, would you put sickness on your child to try to get them to obey you? No, you would never do that as parents. You're loving parents. You're going to do everything you can to protect your children, and you would never put a sickness on them, would you? Then why would our Heavenly Father do something to us to make us learn a lesson. Let's turn to James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And the same word tempt can mean trial, okay? God does not tempt anyone. 
Verse 17, But every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. It seems pretty clear. Every good, and gift, every good and perfect gift is from our Father. Is rape good? No, it is not from the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so we do get ourselves in a mess, and, and I got myself in that mess. And the good news is my Father was there. My Father was there to pick me up out of that mess, out of that situation. And you know what? He didn't say... I told you so. I told you you shouldn't have ran out there. No, he didn't sit there and say I should, that I told you so. He, didn't, he wasn't there to condemn me and make me feel worse. He said, no, Jody. Okay, you're in a fix, but let's go from here, and let's go over here to victory. I'll take your hand, Jody. We'll go. We'll do it together. Hallelujah. And that's available to everyone. Everyone from any little situation to the biggest situation, God will take your hand from that situation over to victory. Hallelujah. And it is available to you today. Amen. Thank you. So we had gotten home after six weeks, and we got home, to, and it was just before the holidays. And through that time, I mean, I had lost like 20 pounds, and I wasn't much heavier than I am now. And like I said, the pimples, man, they just crawled all over me. And I really had clear skin. <laughs> and I hated it. it you, women, you know, young girls, you know that that is ugly. I mean, I already felt ugly as it was, and, and I had lost weight. And I came back to my friends, and oh, man, they, they didn't always say it, but I could tell in their eyes, they thought, what have you been through? You look terrible. I mean, some of them didn't even recognize me. I looked so bad. But I was determined that I wasn't going to share it with anyone, that I was going to overcome it in my own self, and everything was going to be fine. Well, just before the holidays, I was spending the night at my grandmother's, and I wet the bed. I woke up one morning, and my bed was wet. And I thought, this is weird. I have never done this in my life. And so I, I wasn't feeling very good, and I couldn't shake it. I thought, man, this flu will not let go of me. I thought, well, I'll go see the doctor. Went and saw the doctor, and he says, ma'am, you're pregnant. I thought, I mean, I just was hysterical. I had never been with anyone in my life except for that man, and I'm pregnant. Fertile Jody. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are laughing. Y'all look so serious. I was hysterical. I mean, it had been almost seven weeks from the account that it happened. I was just starting to get a little bit feeling some more self-worth. I was just starting to get myself on my feet again. And now I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. I can't believe it. What am I going to do now? I mean, I was hysterical. I had lost all sense of knowledge, all sense of reasoning, and I did not know what to do. I called a girlfriend of mine, and I, you know, I was just wheezing, and I'm woo-hooing on the phone, and I was just hysterical, and I called her, and I said, I need to talk to you. And she wasn't a Christian, but she had good sense. The Lord put people good in your path. And I told her, I said, man, I'm going to get an abortion. This rape was not anything I had planned, and I know that this is justifiable in heaven. I know that if I get an abortion, it's, it's cool, it's all right. I didn't ask for this thing. 
And she kind of went along with it at first, and then a couple days later she said, Nan, Jody, I don't think you should. And she was pregnant at the time, married, happily married. And she said, I don't think you should, because it's just not right. And I said, no, i got to go through with it. And I told my boyfriend, I had a boyfriend that I had had for five years, all through high school, the man I thought for sure I was going to marry. For five years we dated. And I told him, I mean, this was the man that I thought that loved me more than anyone in the entire world. And I told him, and he said, you must have lured him in or something. I couldn't believe it. I mean, now my boyfriend has betrayed me. He couldn't handle it. I mean, I don't, I don't blame him for it because people act so differently to, to something like this. And he just could not handle it. And he blamed me, and I couldn't handle that he was blaming me. And I said, goodbye. I do not need this right now. And so it was the night before the abortion. And my family still doesn't know anything. And I'm sitting on the, in, on the couch thinking about what's going to happen the next morning. And I was just sitting there, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bawling all the time now. And I heard, I don't know if it was an audible voice, but it was real, more real than anything in my life. I heard something say to me, and I know it was God, who are you to kill my child? I mean, it was so real to me that it just snapped me right out of whatever I was in. And I sat up in attention, and I just heard my father, who are you? To kill this child, my child. Let's turn to Psalms. Psalm 139. I just love this chapter now. It's awesome. Psalm 139. Psalm, Proverbs, Isaiah. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is talking about a baby that has not been born yet inside a mother's womb. And abortion, I don't care what people think or say, from the minute of that conception, that's God's work. That is God's child. It's so clear in the scripture. It's so beautiful. He knit us together. His eyes saw our unformed body. So God says, who are you to kill my child? And it was so real to me, I mean, it scared me to death. And I knew that I had better not get an abortion. But I said, God, God, I have no job. God, I have no insurance. I have no place to live. I have nothing, God. I have nothing. You're going to have to really do a work this time, God. You know what he said? Finally. Finally, you've moved out of the way. You've moved out of the way so that I can work. Yes, you have nothing, but I have everything. And I, that, a peace just came over me. I mean, I boo-hooed for hours just crying and telling him everything that I didn't have. And then when I got done, 
He said, yes, you're weak, but I am strong. When we finally realize in our tribulation, in our trial, whatever we're going through, that yes, we are weak. We cannot get out of the mess that we're in. Then God can move in. He can move in and take over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's turn to Philippians. Philippians 4, verse 6. That's Ephesians, Colossians, that area. Yeah, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 4. Are you out there tonight? All right. Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And that's what I did. I said, God, man, I need a job. I need a place to live. I need a church. I need a support group. I need you, God. And I made my request to God. And it says, this is awesome. It fits perfectly. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, when I had given it all to God and recognized that I needed Him, that peace took over instantly. Instantly, that peace took over because I had totally, and that's the key, I had totally given up. And I said, God, you're going to have to do it. I cannot do it in my own self. And that peace took over. Sure, down the line, things happen and, and that peace might have left, but it was my own fault. God never leaves us. Amen? We leave out of his path, but he's always there to pick us up. And then you don't have to turn to it, but in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Again, as parents, you're going to want to take care of your children to the best of your ability. Any cares they have, you want them to come to you, right? So that you can share the burden with them. So true is with our Heavenly Father. Everything that a parent does, you can magnify that 5,000 million trillion times, and then you've got our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. So, now I'm pregnant. I'm going to be showing. Now I'm going to have to tell somebody, this has really messed up my plan. And so I went to my family, and I told my family, and, and I had been a Christian for quite a, a long time, and they were kind of just going along with it because none of my family saved, but they will be saved very soon. Amen. Amen. I went and told my family the whole scoop and my sister. Bless their hearts. They said, honey, you need to get an abortion. You can't handle this right now. I mean, they really fought me tooth and nail. They said, you are doing wrong. Your, your life is going to be messed up now. And they were just doing it out of their love, the love that they knew how to show. I mean, I can imagine, I can, if I was a mother and didn't know the Lord, that I wouldn't want to wish that upon my daughter that she was, had, had conceived from something like that and now she's going to have to carry the baby. I mean, I wouldn't wish that upon my daughter. And so out of, out of their kind of love, I, I can see where that was the, their way of, of showing that they cared for me. But it was the wrong way. And I, just, and I was strong, and, and even though all my family opposed me, I just said, okay, well, I still love you. I still love you, and I'm still going to come and visit you through my pregnancy, and everything's going to be all right with me, I promise. Everything's going to be all right. You just watch and see. And I just had that assurity. I still didn't have a job. I still didn't have anything yet, but I had an assurance from God because he had spoken. He had spoken in my life, and I was standing on that because that's all I had. 
Amen. It's too bad that sometimes we've got to wait until we're on the very bottom and that's the only thing we have left. But that's what I had and that's what I was living on. So within three weeks of that prayer, I had got a job at Butterworth Hospital. And this never happens at hospitals, but they offered me a Monday through Friday job from 7 o'clock to 3.30. No weekends. <laughs> oh, I mean, I hardly even had to look for this job. It just, like, fell in my lap. And again, this, this is nothing that I did. I mean, God's just doing this for me, not because I'm anybody special, but because I had given the situation over to him. I had a sit-down job, 7 to 3.30, Monday through Friday, no weekends. You know why God did that? So I could go to church every Sunday. Sure, he knows I needed that church. And I, and I was at church every time they unlocked the door. I don't care if it was special meetings, whatever. I was always there because that was my lifeline. I mean, when you're, in, when you're in a situation like that, you've got to make God your lifeline. You've got to hook up to him. He's your 911. Amen? And you cannot let go. So, and, that, and you get that 911 at church and in your study and prayer from the Bible. And so I had this awesome job. And then a friend that worked at Butterworth, a, a past friend also worked at Butterworth, he says, well, I know a couple that taken, have taken in prostitutes and stuff before and, and homed them for a while, and maybe they'll take you in. And so we got together with them. I've never met these people. I'm pregnant. I, was, I mean, just, it's something how the Lord works. And so I, I went and met, met these people, and they just took me right in. Didn't even have to pay rent or anything. And I could live with them there in Grand Rapids, and it was just five minutes from the hospital. Hallelujah. God had provided a job and a place for me to live, a Christian place to live. These people were Christian. And with that job came insurance, full insurance. I did not have to pay a dime for this insurance. Hallelujah, isn't God good? I didn't have to pay any insurance. Hallelujah. Then the man that I told you about that um, found the place for me to live, well, he went to Resurrection Life in Granville. And for weeks he's saying, Jody, he knew me before I was raped, Jody, you've got to come to this church. And he was telling me this before I even left for the service. He says, you've got to come to this church in Resurrection Life. You'll really, really like it. And for weeks, you know, I just kept pushing him off. I was going to this other church, and for weeks. Why don't people listen earlier? <laughs> well, I finally went to church that Sunday, and of course I fell in love with it immediately. I mean, young people just came and mobbed me. Oh, come on into our church! And they were just hugging me and just making me feel wonderful something I had never felt in so long, a love and understanding. And they didn't even know me. They didn't even know me, and they just took me in and loved on me. In fact, one of the people that was at Resurrection Life was Randy. And he took me, I, was, I came in the morning service, and in the night service he's waiting there practically for me by the door. And he, he didn't just do this for me. He does this for everybody. And he grabbed my hand and says, come and sit with me up on the front row. And I thought, okay, because he was real cute. <laughs> and I thought, man, and I wasn't showing yet, so I'm playing it off, you know. Hey. And I really thought he was really liking me. Because, I mean, young girls, wouldn't you? I mean, some swab man comes up to you, come on and sit next to me. So I sat right next to him. Loved every minute of it. <laughs> 
And, and later on, he ends up being my husband. Isn't that wonderful? How God does everything? So because I didn't have family, I made church my home. Church was my home. As I said, it was my 911. I lived and, and breathed at church. Well, during this time, the Lord had been dealing with me about something. And he said, you need to forgive this man. And I thought, God, you have really, that was not God. Devil, get out of here. I said, no way. You expect me to forgive this man that has done this to me? I'm pregnant now. I have to carry this baby for nine months. No way. And I just put it off for a couple days, and it, would just, it just kept coming to me. And I was miserable. I knew that's what I had to do. But I, I, it just didn't comprehend in my mind. How could I even do this? You're asking me something that I just can't do. And he says, man, you need to forgive this man. You need to forgive him. And I knew what God's word said about forgiveness. Let's turn to Mark 11. Mark 11, Matthew, Mark. Mark 11, verse 24. We're talking about unforgiveness. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Verse 25, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Whoa. I mean, in the verse beforehand it says, Go ahead, ask anything in prayer. And you will receive it. But when you're asking for anything in prayer, make sure you've forgiven everyone. If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. That's a powerful scripture, saints. Second Timothy. Thessalonians. Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Now this is talking about godlessness. That means people that are not with God. Okay? Godlessness. But mark this, 2 Timothy chapter 3. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. Unforgiving is in that long list of ungodliness. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but, not, but denying its power, having nothing to do with them. It is ungodly to forgive. It is a sin not to forgive. In James, you don't have to turn there, but in James, chapter 4 you can just write it down James chapter 4 verse 17 it says anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sin I knew I had to forgive that man the word said it it says if I know to do good and I don't do it I'm sinning and if we're sinning we're cutting off that line between us and God and God's telling me you need to forgive this man so I can continue to bless you so I can continue to work in your life 
So I said, okay, God, I'm miserable. I'll do it. I'll make a decision to do it. And so I only did it because your word says, God, and I'm doing it because I want to be obedient to your word. And I just got down on my face and I said, God, I don't feel like forgiving this man. I don't feel like it, God, but because your word says so, I make a decision in my heart. Say slanderous things about him in my mind, not to other people, but just in my mind. You can imagine. But finally, it just gradually, I started feeling something for this man. And God had brought me to the point that right now, today, I could witness to that man without any, anything in the way. I could stand before him and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to save you. He knows what you went through, what you did to the women. But he still loves you. He will forgive you. He will forgive that man too. Hallelujah. And you know, if he'll forgive a man like that, he'll certainly forgive anyone here. Hallelujah. Isn't our God good? Our God is a good God. And I tell you, whenever I felt bad, like I didn't want to forgive that man, this is a scripture that I'd read. Romans 12. Romans. You guys are going to laugh. Romans 12, verse 17. It says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Hallelujah, boy, I stood on that and I said, sick him, God. I don't care <laughs> when you do it, but I know my God is going to take care of this situation. I don't have to worry about revenge because it says right here, God's wrath. And I know God's wrath because we see it in the Old Testament. And I said, okay, God, I know you'll do a good job. And so I stood on that scripture. And as I said, the feelings came. And now I'm to the point where I can honestly say that I could witness to that man because of Jesus, what he has done, because what the Father has done through my life as I made myself available to him. And he can do the same to you. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by our feelings, but by faith. Amen? And so many times we have to make decisions, and our feelings don't line up. But if we make that decision, God will come through. So four months went by, and I had to make a decision. I had to decide whether I was going to keep this child and raise it myself, or whether I was going to release it for adoption. And I really didn't care which way it went, because I was really growing of eternal love for this child. I mean, I'd talk to her. I would just sing songs to her, and she'd love to praise the Lord. In church, she would jump in my womb, and she still loves to praise the Lord now. And I had to make a decision, and so I knew, I knew what I had to do. I had to make my request known to God. I had to let him know, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Because I had known in my past life that only God's ways are going to work, are going to bring positive things in our lives. Let's look at Isaiah 55. Isaiah. Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah. I wanted God's decision. I mean, this is a pretty important decision, and I wanted God's decision because I knew my father, and I knew my father was going to pick the best decision for my life. Isaiah 55, verse 9. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are higher than ours. Even though in our own mind we may think, God, you're missing it. I mean, it, the best way is this way. No, he is all-knowing. He knows everything. And though our mind may think that this way is better, we have to trust that his way is better. Amen? He knows the best way. In Psalms uh, 127, I think, Psalms 127 talks, Unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. I mean, I didn't want to have this baby in vain. Nine months of my life I am sacrificing, and I do not want to do it in vain. What I'm meaning is I do not want to do it just for nothing, okay? I want to do it God's way. I want it to work the best for everyone in this situation because his ways are higher than ours. Some may say, well, God's ways, man, are boring. He's going to pick something I don't like. He's going to tell me to go to Africa or something. Has, has anyone ever thought that way? I mean, sometimes we don't even pray that prayer because we're afraid he's going to say something we don't want to hear. <laughs> but you know what? I got something for you for that one. Psalms 37, verse 4. You don't have to write this down. I mean, you don't have to turn to it. Psalms 37, verse 4. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. So here we have our God that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he knows what our desires are better than we do, really. I mean, many times in my own life, something that I didn't think I'd want, I really did want. He gives us the desires of our heart. And say, say you may not really think you want to go to Africa, but God does know if you want to go to Africa or not. And so you pray, you know, for this certain situation, we're just saying Africa. And he says, go to Africa. And you get over there and you love Africa. I mean, you wouldn't rather be any place in the world. And you just love Africa. Because we don't always know our own desires, but God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is always going to put us in a good situation. We're going to be content if we're seeking Him and we're delighting in Him and we're going to be happy wherever He puts us. I guarantee it that you're going to be happy and content where He puts you. I mean, you want to know a secret? I don't have this in my notes, but a couple months ago I thought, Lord, no, I don't want to live in Alma. <laughs> now, I'm sharing my heart now. I said, Lord, I grew up in Baldwin. And Baldwin's another hick town. I'm not saying Elma's a hick town, but <laughs> I said, Lord, no, I like Grand Haven. It's on Lake Michigan, Lord. Oh, I can go to the beach. I love the water. <laughs> I did. I even told some people. I said, me, we ain't going to Elma. Don't ever tell anybody <laughs> that you don't think you're going somewhere. And God just started, I, I was, Determined, I said, God, I want your plan. I don't want to go to Elma, but I want your plan. And I said, I finally said, you know, if that really is what is best for our lives, I'll go to Elma. Well, may, maybe I'll move to St. Louis just to spite him, no? <laughs> so here we are in Elma, praise the Lord. And I am happy. I, I may miss the water a little bit, but you all have to find me a lake, okay? A good lake. 
So where are we? Delighting yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Whatever trial or tribulation you're in, if you, if you recognize that God is the one who is in control and say, God, whatever way you want to get me out of this is, is fine. I'll go your way. And though it may not seem at that time that it may be the right way, He knows. Same with children. Children, I mean, parents, you wouldn't, say, you wouldn't have your children do something that wasn't going to be, that they liked, would you? I mean, there are certain situations, but if, if you can give them something that they like, you're going to give it to them, right? I mean, you're not going to send them off to um, some camp that they don't want to go to if they don't really want to go to it, okay? You're going to try to give them the desires of their heart because you love them. Same is true with our Heavenly Father. Well, after, after much prayer and, and waiting on the Lord, I knew that the best situation was to release the baby for adoption. I knew that was God's will for me. And at the same time, I was really feeling the call of God on my life. I wanted to serve God in the full-time ministry. And with all the things considered, I knew that it was God's plan for me to release the baby for adoption. My family really blew up on that one. But once I knew I, I needed to find a home for the baby, and I started looking for agencies, and I just wasn't happy with any of the agencies. And once again, a friend from church, it was Randy, said, well, I know a friend of a friend that used to work in an agency, and maybe they can help you out some way. So I called this gal, and I told her my situation, and she said, well, you know, I know of a couple that had tried to adopt just a few months ago, and, and the mother had decided that she wanted the baby at the last minute, and they were crushed. And so she was trying to call them. They lived in Texas, and, of course, we're living in Michigan, and she couldn't get a hold of them. She couldn't get a hold of them. She tried many times calling, and so the next, about three days later, she called, and she said, I've been trying to get a hold of this couple, and I can't. They're not home. She says, you want to know why they're not home? Because they're on my doorstep. I mean, these people had just decided to come by and stop and visit her. I mean, talk about a witness. Talk about a coincidence. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> and so I was probably, I don't know how far along. I was, I was probably six months along because it was in, in May. And I didn't want to drive that far al alone. And Randy and I were really good friends. We were like just best friends, really, brothers and sisters. And... and um, <laughs> I said, will you go along with me? I mean, I liked him more. I mean, I kind of liked him more than he liked me, so he says. <laughs> and so I said, will you go with me? And I said, because, you know, I don't want to drive that far alone. And really, it was just I wanted him to go with me. But <laughs> no, I really did want another person there with me. So he says, I'll go. So we drove and got there. And, and oh, I, did, I forgot to tell you something. The, the baby was mulatto. Okay, and one of my most, my most strongest prayers to, to God was, okay, if I'm going to release this baby for adoption, I want it to look just like its parents. I don't want it to stand out. I want it to look just like that is their natural child. And so we went and met him, and he was a Mexican, and he had black hair, and he had kind of a dark complexion, and the mother was kind of fair complexion. I mean, I'm already practically sold on him, and we went back there and, and visited with him. And beforehand, I said, God, I don't want to mess around. I want peace with him right that night. I don't want to have to ponder about it. I want to know 
your peace right then and there. And so we were talking with them afterwards, and I just knew in my heart, I knew in my heart that they were the parents to raise my child. In Colossians 3, verse 15, let's turn there. Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 15. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Something that rules in your life motivates you. It moves you from A to B. And as Christians, we need to let that peace guide us in everything we do. And it will if you allow it to. You may, you may be thinking about a job transfer or, or a different job. We need to pray. You need to pray. God, am I supposed to do this? And I, if I'm supposed to do it, I want your peace to rule and reign in my life. I want to be followed. I want to follow your peace. And if you are going to decide to take that job and you're starting to feel like you shouldn't take it, if you get one check in your spirit, don't take it. Try, don't take it. If you don't have total peace, don't move. It doesn't matter. God's not in a hurry. We don't need to be in a hurry. And so I said, God, I want this peace when I make this decision. This is such an important decision, God, and I want it to be right. I want your peace. And so we visited with him, and like I said, I got peace right away, and I told him that night, I said, the baby's yours. <laughs> you know, I wasn't that candid about it, but I said, I, I really want you to raise my daughter. And I had thought for months about the adoption, and, and I wanted an open adoption. Because I really believe that secrets aren't good. Now, this is my own personal opinion, but God doesn't keep things from us, does he? I mean, he's open. He's, he's given us his whole word. He, he doesn't keep secrets from us. And I just could not live with the fact that if I was going to release my child for adoption, that when she turns 18 or whatever, you know, finally they'll say, oh, you know, you're adopted and your mom was so-and-so. And I mean, that child, I'm, I'm sure we've all heard of, of episodes and they make TV movies and everything out of it. That child is going to really be hurt. That child may rebel against its, its, its um, adoptive parents. That child thinks, why all my life have you been telling me, you know, that I'm your child, that I'm your natural child? Why did you deceive me all those years? It's just not healthy. I, it just it seemed like deception to me. I remember when I was young, and I believed in Santa Claus inside and out until... I was in probably just junior high, and I believed in Santa Claus. I lived for Santa Claus. I loved Santa Claus. Well, one year, I had to come to grips that Santa Claus wasn't real, and I was so hurt. I said, Mother, why have you been telling me all these years that Santa Claus is real, and now he's not? I mean, it kind of seems funny, but kids are like that. I mean, they trust in you their entire life. And my mother told me that there was no Santa Claus. I mean, there was just a, a break in trust there. Do you see what I'm saying? And I didn't want that to happen to my little girl. I wanted her to know from day one everything. I didn't want any secretness. I didn't want any deception. And, and granted, you know, this isn't going to work for every situation. But in my situation, I had prayed to God. I said, God, I want an adoptive couple that are going to want an open adoption too, that are going to want to um, share with our little girl and that she was adopted and tell her the whole plan because it's a beautiful plan, God, because you are turning it into something beautiful. 
And so everything was working out great. They wanted to, an open adoption. And so um, they would call me almost every other day. How are you doing? You know, we're like in the last six weeks now. And how you doing? And they, we were just like friends. We were like best friends. They were kind of like an extended family. And um, it came closer to the time. And it was getting a little harder. I mean, man, I was really getting attached to my little one. I mean, you just do when, when that baby's inside of you. Because, because God had done such a healing in me. I mean, it, it was my baby. It didn't matter how it got there. It was from God. It was going to be blessed. I'm blessed by it. And like I said, I just, I loved being pregnant. I loved the whole thing. And so it was getting closer to the, to the time. And it was kind of hard for me because I didn't have a husband and I didn't want to face the birthing room and everything by myself. And I mean, when you're pregnant, you want your man around you even more anyhow. And, you know, with me not having a husband, it was a real lacking area in there. And, and God really did comfort me in that. But I had a good core of group friends at church. And they were all there at the, birth, at the birthing room. Not all of them, but about seven. And there was, Randy was there and his brother and, and my best girlfriends, mother girlfriends, and some of the girls were coaches. And it was so beautiful. We were in there, and we had our Hosanna music playing, and everybody's filled in the room. And, <laughs> and honest to God, I really didn't feel the contractions too much. I know it was going up on the machine and everything, but the Hosanna was playing, and we were just having a good time. <laughs> you know, hold it, all the guys are standing there. I don't know what they're thinking. And... <laughs> But they were, my, they were part of my strength. They were like my husband. All those friends that the Lord had given me, oh, I couldn't have done it without them. I mean, God was so good. He gave me that core of, of friends that now today, every time I think of them, you know, I almost go, go to tears because they're so dear to my heart. And everyone's still there, and it's getting real close. And everyone stayed there, oh, except for the guys. Oh, the guys stayed up there till like the last push. I mean, they didn't see the, the other stuff, but they left when it was time to push. <coughs> And aren't you glad you're hearing all this stuff? <laughs> and so my girls were coaching me and everything. And as soon as the baby was born, it was safe for the guys to come in. They all came back in, and we all passed the baby around and everything. And, and I wanted to, to keep the baby with me the whole time I was in the hospital. That was just what I wanted to do because that was my time with my child. That was the only time I had. And, and one thing that was really important to me, have you ever seen like those baby dedications? I know they do it in Res Life and everything where the parents bring up the newborn baby and dedicate it to the Lord. I just thought that was wonderful. And I thought, God, I want to do that. I want to be able to go up there and dedicate her to the Lord. Is there some way I can do it, Lord? And so I, I went up to Pastor, Ber Pastor Bernie Grondike and I told him what I wanted to do. I said, when the baby's born, I want to dedicate her at church in Granville. And I want the, the adoptive parents to be there when we do it. He said, sure. And I thought, oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful. I even get this. You're, you're going to let me do this. And so I had her on Friday, women. I had her on Friday, and we either had to do it that Sunday or wait a whole nother Sunday. And I couldn't wait a whole nother Sunday. I mean, having her just that amount of time, I knew I could only handle having her for that weekend. And not, I couldn't go a whole nother week. So I had her on Friday at 1.21 p.m., and Sunday I left from the hospital with her and went home, got dressed, 
in a white dress. Why I wore a white dress, I don't know. It made me look so pale. So I just had a baby, and I wore a white dress, and we went to the church. And we had a beautiful baby dedication there. I mean, God was so real. And I got to take my baby up there and dedicate her to the Lord. And then the couple came up there, and I turned the baby over to them, and I dedicated the baby to them. And it was all right, though, because I knew that was my father's plan. I mean, I, it was hard. I'm, I'm not going to deny that. But I had that assurance inside of me that it's all right. And, yeah, you know, I shed tears, but I knew. And I, and I gave, I trusted that those people would raise my little girl. And I gave the baby over to them. And God was so good to me. And still now today, I mean, we are so close to them. I mean, she was a, a, a flower girl in our wedding. That, that's how open it is. It's like we're an extended family. And, and it's not hurting anybody. Everything's beautiful. Everyone, there's no deception. There's no lies. And, and I get to share in my little girl's life, and, and she gets to share in mine. And God just worked it out so beautiful. I mean, something that, that was meant to be so ugly, so terrible. God has just totally turned it around. And I just love my little girl. I think, I mean, this is going to seem really crazy, but I thought, I'm almost glad that I went through this. I'm almost glad that this happened because, Father, it's brought me so close to you. And you have brought such a beautiful girl into my life. And she has blessed. These people, these people had tried to have a child for 11 years, no children. And I was so blessed to see their face when they got that little girl. I mean, you know how you are when you, when you give a gift to somebody. I mean, I just felt so honored that God even considered me for this plan, that I could bless somebody with, with my little girl. And I was so glad that I got to bear her. I got to bring her into the world, and, and they're going to raise her. Hallelujah. Isn't God wonderful? I mean, I could have aborted that child, and now she wouldn't even be here today. And you watch. She's going to be a mighty woman for God. She is going to preach and sing and teach. Hallelujah. All because of what God has done. The Bible says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let's turn. To Romans 8. <clears throat> Praise you, Jesus. Acts, Romans. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all good, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. And we know that in all things, everybody say, in all things. In all things, in all things we know that God works for the good of those who love him. Hallelujah. In Luke 18, verse 27, it says, What is impossible to man is, what is impossible to man is possible with God. 
I said, what seems impossible with man is possible with God. Hallelujah, God's power is here tonight. God's power can change any situation around. I said, God's power can change any situation around. And then in Romans 8.37, in the same chapter, Romans 8.37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Hallelujah, we are more than conquerors. And in all things it says, in another verse it says, Through Christ Jesus we always triumph. Always triumph. That is good news. You all should be jumping up and shouting. That would make a Baptist shout. Through Jesus, we always triumph. I mean, it doesn't care what your situation looks like around you. I'm telling you, it works. God's Word works. It's a testimony. A testimony is something that's been tried and true, and it's an evidence. Amen? Amen. And it works. And it is not anything that I did. It's no works that I did. Because God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. But you, but you might say, well, you're a pastor's wife. That's why he did it for you. I wasn't a pastor's wife then. I was just like anybody else. I was nobody special. I messed up every day, left and right. But because of God's grace, his, his unfailing grace, his unendless grace, nothing that I did, he brought destruction into victory. He turned that totally around for His glory. And it's for His glory because it's so beautiful. It's touched so many lives that little girl has. They travel still all around and they're testifying of what happened, just what I told you now. And people are touched. They see God's power and they say, I want that power. That's good. That's good. We're drawn to goodness. I want God's power to work in me like that. If it worked for you, it'll work for me. Hallelujah! Destruction, and he brought goodness. And she's only two and a half. Hallelujah! And she's already changed who knows how many lives. She's still got her whole life. Praise the Lord! That is good news. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Father, we thank you tonight. Oh, Lord, you have done more, far above more. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333 Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.